Open your Bible with me to Romans 4, verses 22 through 25. There are two things that we as a church love. We love credit, and we love the resurrection of Christ. Credit is mentioned in this passage three times, and the resurrection is mentioned twice. So we got a handful of good in this chapter, okay, in this passage, and you're going to enjoy it. It's exciting to see what God has for us. Romans 4, 22 through 25. Let me read it to you. Hear God's word. Therefore, it was also credited. That's the first time we see credit. It was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. We are people who love credit. We love resurrection. I'm excited about this passage of Scripture. You know, how do we get to heaven? How do we know we stand before God when, and we're going to be declared righteous? And we're going to get in to heaven. We're not going to be cast aside. Do we really understand that it's through faith in Christ and His resurrection that gets us in to heaven. Do we get that? Do we understand the marvelous exchange that takes place that allows us to get there? I want us to think about that. Have you ever had a, um, a birthday present you needed to exchange? You know, uh, I had this one time. I was given this hideous, it's, it was on the leisure suit side of a blazer, plaid blazer. It was clearly, as soon as you opened it and saw it, you, you immediately were looking for the tag. You knew this came off of last year's discontinued sale item rack, you know? It was, it was one of those items that it was probably 90% off, which is of the last ticketed price. You know, that's the way the store is saying, please take this away from us. We don't want to see it again. Well, my parents told me I could exchange it if I want. They could obviously see on my face I wanted. So I took it to the store, and I was absolutely shocked and thrilled that they took it back. And I was able to exchange it for something much more wonderful and suiting and cool and hip and all of that. Well, in the same way, we were born, we had a birthday present. We were born with something that needed to be exchanged. We were born in sin. And we need that to be exchanged. And we need it to be exchanged for something much more marvelous. And the good news is that our sin can be exchanged for Christ's righteousness. We can trade it in. And the sin goes away, righteousness is our new possession. And that righteousness is the righteousness that has been obtained for us through the resurrection of Christ. And with that righteousness, we stand justified. We stand right 
before God and can enter into the joys and glories of heaven. I want you to see that in this text. It's really good news. First of all, verse 22 says, and being fully, excuse me, that's verse 21. Uh, verse 22, therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. We saw last week that Abraham, through faith in Christ, received righteousness. It was credited to him. Abe was accepted before God. Now we move to the conclusion. The word therefore means, okay, now let's wrap this up. Let's conclude this. Therefore, the argument that Abraham got faith in Christ and that faith in Christ and his resurrection made him acceptable, it can be ours also. Uh, verse 23, not, now not for his sake only was this written, that it was credited to him. Verse 24, but for our sake also. So the scriptures have been written not just to give Abraham assurance of salvation. They've been written to give us assurance of salvation. That the same way he was credited with righteousness, we could be credited with righteousness as well. Therefore, are you sure? You're justified. How are you justified? You're justified the same way Abraham was justified. How was Abraham justified? Was it by works? Interesting, isn't it? No works are in the passage. None of Abraham's good works are mentioned here. He was credited righteousness through faith. It didn't say in the same way that Abraham did this, 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 and this. If you will do these things you will be credited with righteousness as well. It's really interesting to me because Abraham was so good. I mean, if you want somebody to pick for good works, why not pick Abraham? But those aren't mentioned. Abraham was uh, a good man. Abraham was, was a generous man. Abraham was a righteous man. Abraham was the father of our faith. He was certainly a man who believed. He believed in God. And as he went traveling through the wilderness, I mean, he was willing to leave his home. God said, I want you to leave your home and go into the wilderness. He said, okay, I'll do that. Really? That takes quite a faith to do that. And as he goes about, he would build altars. He was a church builder. He said, we're going to build an altar and we're going to worship God. He was a family man. He was committed to his family. The scripture says God chose him, as a matter of fact, because he would teach his children to obey God's commandments and train them in righteousness. So Abraham was a, a, a great man of faith. He was a great man of the church. He was a great man of worship. He was a great family man building his family, teaching the commands, teaching the law of God. And he was a generous man. He took his nephew along with him. You remember Lot. And he said, look, Lot, God's given me all this territory. Why don't you pick the best part? What generosity. You pick the best part. Build a city. Have, have a wonderful life. And then while Lot's having a wonderful life, people come and raid his city. Five kings, they capture him. They talk, take him off. And Abraham says, there's going to be hell to pay. Somebody took my nephew. And Abraham goes after them, defeats the kings, slaughters them, brings Lot back, gives him more. I mean, this is a good guy. And when he comes back, he stops again, builds an altar, worships God. The high priest, Melchizedek, shows up. 
And Abraham says, I'm going to give him 10% of everything I've got. God deserves my finances, my money, my 10%. Abraham was the first one to teach us about tithing. That you worship God with the resources he gives you. Abraham was a good guy. So when I read this, how did Abraham get into heaven? I immediately start thinking, there's things recorded here in the Bible that tell me about Abraham. Maybe I need to do those things. And if I do those things, I'll get to heaven. And a lot of people teach those things. You want to get to heaven? Go to church. Worship, sing songs. Give your tithes and offerings. Have, be a family person. Be committed to the family. Be teaching all the commandments. And if you will do these things, you will be acceptable to God when you die. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he was acceptable by his faith, not by his works. And none of those works, even though they're mentioned in the book of Genesis are brought into Romans saying, these are the things I want you to remember about Abraham. Now it says, what I want you to remember about Abraham is his faith. That he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that righteousness makes him acceptable before God. So you review God's work, it doesn't do you any good for justification. That we're justified by faith. Now, for our sake only, verse 24. So if it's for our sake also, we need to believe God. We need to have faith in God and it will be credited to us as righteousness. In other words, justification, justification and righteousness, similar words, same thing for the most part. You're just, you're righteous, and that justice, that righteousness comes to you by imputation. In other words, it's put into your account. It's imputed to you. It's credited to you as righteousness. Now, think about credit several ways. When we think about credit, a lot of times we're thinking about the banks give us a line of credit. And if they give you some sort of line of credit, they're saying, we will give you this, but you got to pay it back. As soon as we issue you this credit, you're a debtor, and you owe us, and you will never be acceptable with us unless you pay it back. That's the way we typically think of credit. That's not the way credit is being used here. It's a different way. There's, there's a credit here that's simply being given to us, and this credit is given to us in such a way that it affords us our different status and there's nothing to pay back at all. We are just not only awarded but treated as though we are different because we've been credited. We've been given something. And the something we've been given is righteousness. Think about it like going to college and getting credits. Some of you here in high school, you are known as a concurrent student. And that means you are earning high school credit and college credit concurrently at the same time. So you take a class at one of the universities or 
technical colleges while you're still in high school and you get credit. You get college credit and high school credit. And you can keep doing that until you graduate high school. As soon as you graduate high school, you can't be a concurrent student anymore. Now it's just college credit. But what a joy it is for some of you who have gone this path to get to the registrar's office at college. Because for several years, maybe, you've been taking these classes that give you credit on the college level and on the high school level. And so now that you've graduated high school, school, you get to the registrar's office, and the registrar says to you, good news, you've been credited sufficiently to enter college as a sophomore or as a junior or as something other than an entering freshman because you have credits on your account. There's nothing to pay back. You simply have the status now of sophomore or freshman to finish college in most places in America. You know, it takes 128 credit hours. So if you have, somebody looks at your file, they look at your record, they say, well, you've got 128 credits. You are sufficiently awarded what is necessary to be declared a bachelor of whatever. Because the credits are in your account. It says absolutely nothing about whether you're smart, whether you're educated. It doesn't even ask you how you got those credits. The registrar simply looks at the credits and says, you deserve this status. You are credited this many hours. Now think about what our God has done for us. Our God says, I want to credit you with righteousness. I want you to be able to stand before God. And when, or let's just keep the analogy. Stand before the registrar in heaven. The, you're in the registration line. Can I get in? And as you are in the registration line before the registrar you finally come up to him her and they said let me check your file they look at your file and they say well you have sufficient credit to be awarded the status of child of God enter into the glory of your redeemer how did I get there it was credited to me It was given to me, a status I didn't earn, I don't have to pay back. Christ simply deposited the credits necessary for my entrance into my file, into my account, so that I am free to enter in. Hallelujah. What a glorious Redeemer. That's the way Abraham got in. He was credited with righteousness. That's the way we get in. We need to view the, the blessing of that credit. What's our responsibility? What do we have to do for that? So you don't earn it? You don't pay it back? The only thing that's mentioned that we do, our engagement in this process, our responsibility is simple faith. And our faith, God's the object of our faith, the substance of our faith is Christ and His resurrection. It says, verse 24, 
for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him, that we believe in God, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. So God's the object of our faith, the substance, what we're believing in is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Absolutely all that's involved. Simple faith. Well, I believe that. I believe Christ died for me, and he has risen for me from the dead. So it's a, it's a significant faith. It's different from the faith of many. It's a particular faith. A lot of surveys say 98% of Americans believe in God. That's a very general faith. Because you know there's a Protestant faith, and there's a Catholic faith, and there's a cultic faith, and there's all kinds of faith. We believe in lots of things. What the Scripture is telling us is not some denominational faith, not some group faith, but the faith is particular. It's in the person and work of Christ, that Christ died, was buried, rose again from the dead. Do you believe that? It's particulars. The particular substance of faith. And it's crucial. It's the core of our faith. You say, well, I, I have faith. I believe. What do you believe in? What's your faith in? Well, my faith is in Christ who died for me, was buried, rose again from the dead for me. Particular faith. That's extremely significant. That's the faith that justifies that credits righteousness. Let me show you a couple other passages. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The classic passage on the resurrection of Christ. It even begins with a great definition of the gospel. Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received from Christ. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So this is, this is the gospel, he says. You want a definition? It's that the good news is that Christ died, was buried, and he rose again from the dead. Skip down to verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. So see, you can believe in all sorts of things. But your faith needs to be in the resurrection of Christ. And if, if, if it's not in Christ, if Christ is not raised, you don't believe that Christ is raised and he's not really raised, it's worthless. It's worthless faith. faith. It's vain. The faith must be in Christ and the resurrection of Christ. What is this, Easter? See, this is why we believe Easter's every Sunday. Easter is every day. We don't just celebrate faith in the resurrection of Christ Sometimes, it's all the time. This is what our faith is in, that Christ died, was buried, and he rose. Look down verse 17. mentions it again. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. The resurrection of Christ is everything. It's absolutely crucial. You go back to Romans 4, and it says, we believe, those who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Our faith must be in the resurrection of Christ. Are you convinced Christ rose from the dead? See, it's crucial. It separates our faith from many other kinds of faith. 
Our faith is in the resurrection of Christ. Our responsibility is to believe in the resurrection of Christ. And there's great benefit. What's the benefit? Verse 25, the reward. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions. So he can't be raised until he's dead. So he's delivered over here, speaking of death. Delivered over to death because of our sins. Was raised because of our justification. Salvation is more than just forgiveness of sins. It takes it to a new level. We just sung, uh, sang this, uh, we're singing the song of... Um, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus gives us pardon. Agreed. That's what we sang about. We, he's given over to death. His blood is spilt to cleanse us from our sin. But then he's raised, takes it to a new level, literally, for our justification. So we're not only pardoned from sin, we are acquitted of all charges against us. There's two aspects of of this great benefit. We don't need Christ just to die for us. He must die and be resurrected for us. And our faith is in His resurrection for us. He's the only one in all of history that's ever died and been risen from the dead for sinners. Our faith is in Christ and His resurrection. Uh, The death, the blood pays the debt. The resurrection provides this glorious acquittal of all charges. Now, interesting figure of speech, use of language in verse 25. Those of you who are English scholars, you would have grabbed this long before the rest of us. Uh, Verse 25, let me read it again. It's called, and you can see it, it's called antithetical parallelism. Think about it. Verse 25. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justification. So there's an antithetical parallel. Something that's, that's opposite. He was put to death. What would be opposite of being put to death would be put to life. So that's, but they're parallel Emphasis and, and the reason you sometimes use figures of speech like this is just to emphasize, to, 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 to put it in a way that you can't miss it, that you can remember it, you can feel the significance of it. Christ was put to death for our sins. Christ was put to life for our acquittal, for our righteousness for our justification let me show you some other places where Paul Paul loves to use this this, this, uh, sense of language to get us gripped with this look at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 I've often said this is one of my most favorite verses in all the scriptures But maybe I need to amend that because I'm seeing it many more places than just here. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, antithetical parallelism. 
showing you opposites. He who had no sin, who was sinless, opposite, becomes sin. We who had nothing but sin, opposite, become righteous. It's like, how does that happen? How do you become the opposite of what you are? Well, it's because Christ humbled himself to be the opposite of what he was. He who had no sin became sin. And he had a reason for taking sin upon himself. And that was to pay the penalty and the guilt of sin that we possess. And then give us what he possessed. Righteousness. She so says, do you see that? That, that exchange and the, just marvel. That we could be opposite of what we are. We know we're born in sin. Yet he gives us this opposite exchange. I'll take your sin. Let me give you righteousness at no extra cost. Let me declare you righteous. Another place, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. So just turn over a few chapters. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Again, this emphasis, this antithetical parallelism. He was rich, took the opposite. He became poor. You were poor. He gave you the opposite, let you become rich. That's the work of Christ. That's the the glorious exchange. Believe in Christ. What, What he's accomplishing at his resurrection is the power, the ability to exchange our sin for righteousness, to exchange our guilt for complete acquittal of all charges against us. He dies for our sin. Christ put to death for our sin. We put to life for, by his righteousness. For our righteousness, for our justification, it's all done by Christ. Glorious thing. Um, many people try to justify themselves. We still go back to the good works thing. Can, can I do something to make me right with God? It's like, no. You're a sinner. No sin, that's all you have to give. No sin makes you right with God. So I need something outside of myself. I need a righteousness, not my own. I need Christ to exchange righteousness for sin. Good news, he's willing to do that. When you hear the term gospel, do you you get it? Do you understand? Gospel means good news. What's good about it? I just explained it to you. What's good about it is that Jesus Christ dies to pay the penalty for our sin and in exchange for our sin he's willing to give us his righteousness go back to Romans 1 verse 18 and 19 you remember this this language of Romans 1 verse 16 excuse me Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel take it the good news I'm not ashamed of this good news why it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes the Jew first also the Greek for in it here's the good news In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's the good news. That the righteousness of Christ 
is revealed as an appropriate exchange for our sin. Do you believe that Christ rose to give you righteousness and it's yours? Wow, that's good news. That's nothing to be ashamed of. You don't do anything for it. But man, is it good. And it goes from faith to faith. From You believe, and the next one believes, and the next one believes. And it just goes on and on, and it's been going on since Christ's resurrection. This is good news. Seemingly good news is so good, it's hard to believe. But many who believe become righteous in Christ. Christ's death satisfies all of God's requirements. I, there's something building in verse 25, and I don't know that I'm able to, to really get it out of here for you, but it's coming in chapter 5. I'm going to call chapter 5 the joy of justification. But I want you to begin to feel a sense of the joy in verse 25. He's building up to that. He says, therefore, you believe like Abraham believed. And by the way, you know, Abraham believed in the same thing. Remember, we saw last week, Abraham was as good as dead physically. His wife's womb was as good as dead. God promised him. He says, I'm going to give you a son named Isaac. You're going to call him Isaac. And Sarah says, yeah, right. I'm as good as dead. Old ladies don't have children. And God says, no, I want you to have faith that I'm going to resurrect from those who are good as dead. I'm going to resurrect from the dead a son named Isaac. And from Isaac, I'm going to send one named Jesus. And he's going to die. And I'm going to resurrect again from the dead, Christ. And if you believe that, it will be credited to you as righteousness. And you'll be saved. Abraham was believing in a resurrection. A resurrection he was looking forward to was the primary resurrection after the birth of Isaac he was looking to the resurrection of Christ and that's what we believe in that's the substance of our faith is that Christ was raised for us Christ understood he had more to do after his death on the cross there was a work there there was more look at John chapter 17 verses 4 and 5 begin to get a hint here it's it's many places throughout the scripture John 17 Jesus, talking to God the Father, what's known as the high priestly prayer, says this, verse 4. Christ, speaking to God, says, I glorified you on the earth. Catch this phrase, though. Past tense. Having accomplished the work. What did he do? Christ has lived for 33 years. He says, okay, we've gotten to the end now. He hasn't been crucified yet. He knows it's about to happen. He says, but I have accomplished the work. I came to do something, and I've accomplished it now. The work, he says, which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So, the Scriptures talk, Philippians 2, about this glory Christ lays aside. He says, I came to earth. I had glory in heaven. I laid aside my glory. I took the humble position of being man in the flesh, God in the flesh. And then I began to do work that was laid out for me. And what was the work he was laid out to do? 
He tells John the Baptist at his baptism. He says, you must, allow, you must baptize me. Why? Because this is another part of the ingredient that I must do to fulfill all righteousness. I have come not to annul any part of the law, to completely keep the law, to do everything my Father in heaven has ever required that a human do. I've come to do it, and I will accomplish it. And Christ says, I did accomplish it. I righteously did everything the Father asked. So I have earned the status as a man of being fully righteous. So as one who has not sinned, who is fully righteous, I can substitute myself for the one who is a sinner. So Christ dies on the cross as our righteous substitute, and he pays the penalty. The wages of sin is death. He paid the, the, the penalty for our sin. But then he rose again from the grave, and he goes into the courtroom of heaven, and he says he is there, our advocate. He pleads for us like a lawyer, and none of us want a a guilty plea deal. None of us want a lesser sentence. None of us want to say, yeah, my sins have been pardoned and they have been forgiven, but, you know, since then I've, I've done some things and ah, it's not working out good for me. And God says, Christ says for us, no, 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 we're not going there. I have paid sufficiently for their sins. Now, I don't want any plea deals. I want this court, the heavenly courtroom, to declare that everyone I have purchased with my blood is fully acquitted of all charges. That nothing will be brought against them again. Not past, not present, not future. I have risen to be here to earn their righteousness, their justification. I died for their pardon. I rise for their righteousness. I give. I credit. I want to. I am here to deposit into their account all righteousness necessary for their entrance and their status as a child of God. Hallelujah. I can't say that for you. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God has done just a marvelous exchange that does nothing but fill us with joy of the sense this is too good to be true. His goodness, the righteousness of Christ is revealed. That's what we believe in. A crucified Savior, an ascended and righteous King who pleads our case. Does some evil, worthless demon, Satan, person ever say, you're not good enough? You won't make it. You're worthless. I don't know what you're believing in. You sure aren't going. You're not going to make it. The good news is if you have faith in Christ, risen for you, 
You're washed by his blood. And you're justified by his righteousness. Don't believe the lies. Come to discipleship with me. Believe. Have faith. A class on faith. Come to the election class. Who has a charge against God's elect? Who can accuse us? We have been acquitted. Come to the revelation class. Who is the accuser of the brethren? Christ says, I have blocked him up. So my people go free. What a glorious Savior we have who's given us all things to walk out of here with assurance that we are acceptable. Because we have a righteousness, not our own. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your glory, for your grace, for righteousness we don't deserve but wonderfully, gloriously receive. To as many as received you, we have become the children of God. It does not appear as yet what we shall be, but we know when we see you, we will be like you. We will be without sin. Our account is paid up. We will be righteous children of God. We give you praise and adoration. We gather each week. We keep the commands. We study the law. We give the tithes. All of this just, is just glorious privilege because you have credited us with righteousness. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for letting us come and praise and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.